Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Hey. Morning. Glad you're here today. Uh, let me just say, following up with what Wendy was saying in the announcements, uh, about 200 folks out serving in our city uh, this week and just seeing what some of y'all did on social media and the folks I was able to serve with here at the school, um, y'all made me proud to be your pastor. And so I want to just say thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for wanting not just to talk about church and kind of hang out at a place, but to be the church together. And so I just want you to know that I'm grateful for you. And I'm going to pray for us. We're going to open up the scriptures in James chapter 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, I just want to give you a heads up too. Uh, that we have an app that we have for our church called Southbridge uh, Fellowship. If you just go to any of your app stores. And not only does it make it super easy to find hard passages uh, when you're using the app, uh, there's a Bible in there, but it's also got sermons in there and information about what's going on as, as a church. And so if you want to download that on your devices once I'm done praying for us here, uh, feel free to do so. And then some of you like a hard old school Bible, not like a scroll that will roll out here, but an old Bible. We give some away if you don't have one, so you can grab one at the back door. But let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we get to uh, open up your word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. God, I pray you would speak, and uh, I pray that you would meet us. I pray as we open up the scriptures, you'd open up our hearts. And I pray, God, that you wouldn't let us be conformed to this world, but you'd transform us by the renewing of our minds. Some of us need to think differently as a result of the things that we'll see in your word today. Uh, some of us need to live differently as the things you'll do in our hearts. God, will you perform heart surgery on us this morning? Will you open up our hearts and show us motives, things that we don't oftentimes notice or think about? Will you show us uh, things maybe that are not fun to look at? Will you show us things that you're doing that are amazing, that might encourage us? Some of us need encouragement this morning. Will you remind us that you are here with us? I pray that people would just sense your presence as you're speaking this morning. Please speak through my words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We get right into it this morning. James chapter 4. We're just looking at two verses. James, not the easiest book to find, towards the back of the New Testament. If you have it, James chapter 4, looking at verses 11 and 12. We're continuing the series called Be Connected. We just started last week in this series. And we were talking about in the series last week how we've got the illusion of intimacy. Many of us live in this illusion. Uh, if you remember, if you were here when we were doing this message, I did some optical illusion pictures that were on the screen. I had one person that was a skeptic that emailed me later that day and said, hey, that picture you showed, those two colors weren't the same. For those of you remember which one I'm talking about. I'm going to assure you he dropped it into Photoshop, sampled the colors. They are the same colors. I was not deceiving you in that. But it illustrates again how, how much we can think that we see something that's not really true. And what I was talking about last week was we do that with relationships. How can you be in a room with hundreds of people right now and then not really be known? How is it that we can have our social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is, and you scroll through and you've got hundreds of followers, thousands of people through, can factor in work and family and church groups and all these different groups of people that we're connected with, but we're not really connected. And the reasons why is because we have an illusion of intimacy. And as long as we live in that illusion of intimacy, we can never obey the commands this series is based on. We're talking about the one another's of Scripture in this series. There's 59 of them in the New Testament. And so last week what we talked about was how do we break through this illusion of intimacy? And we talked about a foundational command of all those one another commands to love one another. We find it in John chapter 13. It's also all over the book of 1 John. And it says to love one another. Jesus says a new commandment I'm giving you. But it's not new, right? Love one another. It's in Leviticus 19.18. Here's what makes it new. John chapter 34, he says a new commandment I give you. You love one another. And it's this phrase, just as. 
Just as Jesus loved you, we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are supposed to love one another. So what does that look like? And we talked about last week what that looks like. Before we can even do it, we've got to be secure in God's love. I hope everybody here that's a follower of Jesus knows nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. God loves you more than you could ever fathom. Nothing anybody can say changes that. Nothing you could do changes that. God loves you. And when you're secure in that love, it frees you up to be able to love the way that Jesus loved in John chapter 13 when he washed his disciples' feet, when he got low, when he who was the highest got the lowest, because real love meets real needs, and that requires real sacrifice. But what we're talking about today, and some of you may have already glanced at James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it's the opposite of what we talked about last week. And so opposites are pretty easy to think of, right? So I'll just I'll quiz you real quick. The opposite of hot is? The opposite of up is? The opposite of hard is? The opposite of love is? Hate, interesting, because James chapter 4 doesn't say hate. James chapter 4 instead exposes a heart condition. It's a heart condition of superiority, and the way that you see it is through the way that we speak. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. An interesting fact about the book of James, it's a short book, it's only five chapters. Every one of those five chapters mentions speech. James is really practical. He's the one who says, if you say you believe something, but you don't actually do anything about it, you don't really believe it. You can believe something in your mind, like God exists. He says, oh good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder, but they don't have faith. There's a difference. Faith without works is dead, he says. But in James chapter 1, he says about speech, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. After talking about God's word as a mirror that we look at and we shouldn't walk away and forget what we see, he says that if anyone thinks that his religion is valid, but doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, his heart is deceived. In James chapter 2, it's a little bit more vague when he talks about speech. He says, you can see your brother in need, and if you say to him, go, be warmed and filled, what good is that? Talk is cheap, is what he says. But then in chapter 3, he says, talk is really powerful. He says, with the same mouth that we praise God, we curse men. And so let this be convicting. Those of you who are on your way to church this morning were yelling at your kids, yelling at your spouse, yelling at the other people driving, and then came in here, God is so good. Right? James says, no, 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 that's not how this is supposed to work. But in chapter 4, he shows us why. It's because the tongue reveals the heart. Looking at James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Here's our command. Do not speak evil against one another. There's our one another command. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law. This is the book that says, remember Wendy, when she was giving the announcement, she said, it's one thing to be a hearer of the word, but you need to be a doer of the word. And James is the one who says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. He says, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. He says, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12. There's only one lawgiver. And just before we even get to the end of the message, let me tell you something. It ain't you. (laughs) Only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James asked this question. And so here we've got this passage. It's just two verses today. Only two verses, but they're very revealing verses. And if you think about it, most of us, we love reveals. Some of you are maybe iPhone people. The iPhone 8 came out recently. And so some of you maybe took some time off of work or just did it at work so that you could see the iPhone reveal. What are the new, what is the 8 going to have that the 7 didn't have? Is it going to finally catch up to Samsung? Oh, that was a cheap shot. I was talking to somebody before the first service. She's like, I'm a Samsung girl. My family made me buy this iPhone. Oh, maybe someday it'll do our laundry. But until then, we keep anticipating the reveals. 
and what features it might have and what it might do. When you watch a, a house show, isn't that the big part of the house show is the reveal? When they pull that canvas away or they want to show the bathroom before and after, the kitchen before and after, it's the reveal. Or if you're a mystery person and you watch mystery movies or you read mystery novels, it's, there's this one piece that's going to change everything at some point in the story. And when that piece is revealed, it all makes sense. Some of you uh, have had children before, and you go to the doctor, you get the ultrasound, and you find out whether or not you're going to have a boy or a girl. And then now here's the new thing that has to happen. Not that I'm, this was before or since my time of having babies. is you, you then reveal that in some creative way on social media, right? When it's a chalkboard or a balloon or a piece of cake or something that you're going to come up with that no one else has ever seen, you're revealing what's been revealed to you. But some reveals are, are stressful. Have you ever gone to the doctor before, and they're trying to diagnose whether or not there's something seriously wrong with you? And you want to know because you want to be able to treat it. But you don't want to know because you don't want something to be wrong. But you not knowing doesn't change whether or not it's there or not. I remember when my dad died. My dad uh, died of an aortic dissection and heart disease. And after he died, they told me it's a genetic thing that was wrong with his heart. So you need to go to the doctor, get an echocardiogram. And I went in there, and they start looking at my heart. They put this jelly on my chest. They start looking at my It's not painful or anything. But I'm nervous because I don't want them to find anything. But if there is something wrong, I guess I want to know what it is. And they can actually see, like, the heart walls, the chambers, the aorta. Spiritually, that's what James is doing in this passage of Scripture. In verses 11 and 12, what he's doing here is a heart examination, but he does it through the tongue because the tongue is like the echocardiogram. The tongue is what reveals the heart. And so what he's showing us here, the first thing is this, when he talks about this command, do not speak evil against one another, not speak against your brother, is he's showing us this, those who speak against a brother have a heart of superiority. And that's our first point. What it reveals about our hearts when we speak against someone is that we have a superiority complex, we've got a heart of superiority, but not just over that person, that's where this passage is really interesting. Now, before we dive in too much here into this passage, let me just remind you, last week we talked about what hinders love. And one of the big hindrances to love is insecurity. We were looking at last week the passage in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But in Luke chapter 22, what we see is that the disciples were actually arguing about who's the greatest. It was their insecurity that caused them to argue about who's the greatest. And insecurity is a hindrance to love. Anybody who lives their life, like they have something to prove, whether it's to their boss, whether it's to God, whether it's to their parent, whether it's to a coach, whether it's to a neighbor, whoever it is, you're revealing insecurity in your life. And as long as you've got those insecurities, it hinders you from loving other people. Here's something interesting I read this week. Psychologists say that when you have a superiority complex, it's actually compensation for your insecurities. It's one of the reasons why we gossip about each other. Because you look for someone else's weaknesses to elevate yourself. It makes you feel better about you. You're trying to cover up your insecurities. As long as those things are true, you can't love. James is revealing those things in this passage, but look at what he says. Some of you are newer at studying the Bible. Here's a little tip for studying the Bible. Just make observations. What do you see? What's there? You don't have to come up with all these different meanings. from. What does it just say? And so verse 11, let's read it together and just make some observations. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers. That's interesting that he calls them brothers, especially if you read all of James chapter 4. So let me back up, and what has he been calling them through James chapter 4? Verse 4, you adulterous people. Here's a great conversation starter. <laughs> Verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners. So he calls them sinners, adulterers. And then here he says brothers. The tone has changed. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers. And so this isn't just about everybody. 
He's talking believer to believer here, follower of Jesus, another follower of Jesus. You're in the family of God. We did last series was about being the church, not just being connected as individuals, but being the church. He's talking about the church. Don't speak evil against your brothers. And then he goes on and talks about why. The one who speaks against a brother, it's the brother again, or judges his brother. So three times in this verse, this one verse, he uses the phrase brothers. He's emphasizing that. But three times here, he also talks about speaking evil. There's no doubt about what this passage is about. It's about speaking against a brother. Now, some of your translations, if you have the NIV, say slander here. Do not slander your brother. Here's the problem with that. The NIV is an awesome translation. Your Bible's a great Bible. But that word is so narrow. Here's what slander means. Slander is when you falsely speak against someone to disparage their reputation in some way. You're trying to bring their reputation down, and the information you're sharing is not even necessarily true. That would certainly qualify for what James is talking about here and the word that he uses for speaking against someone. But it's broader than that. And here's what we oftentimes do as Christians. We hide behind the truth. We're people of the truth. And if, if somebody's really dumb and I don't tell them, how am they ever going to know? And so we use the truth sometimes in a very bad way. And one of the bad ways that we use the truth is we hide behind the truth. And so we might say something bad about somebody and we just justify it because, well, it's true. They really did that. They really do that. This really is their sin. And so I'm, I mean, it's just really, I'm, I'm concerned for them. And so I'd like to share this truth about them with you. And they're not present. <laughs> I've got a prayer request for someone who's not here right now. And I just want to say, maybe you really are concerned. Maybe you're not. And we've got our southern charm that we sprinkle, put a little sugar on our gossip. Make it sound real nice. It's still sin. This word here uh, that's translated uh, speak evil against or speak against, speak against multiple times in this passage of Scripture is broader than just slander. It encompasses things that are true and things that are false. What it's ultimately getting to is your motive. It is possible to talk about somebody's sin when they're not present and it not be sin. When you're for that person and you're seeking their restoration... If one of our pastors had a moral failure, it wouldn't be sin for one of our elders to get up here and mention that to our church. That would be godly. It'd be warning the rest of the body. There is a time, it is okay to pray for someone in their sin, but I wonder if sometimes we're doing it and we're just covering up our sin. See, there's lots of ways you could translate this word. Slander is one of the ways that some Bible translators translate it. You could also choose backbiting, maligning, accusations, true or false, harsh criticisms, disparaging comments. Any of those things would work here in verse 11. So have you ever done this? Don't answer. I bet everyone here has done it. If you won't admit it, you probably have a superiority complex. We'll talk about your insecurities in a little bit. Has it ever been done to you? Don't answer. If you think it hasn't, it probably has. You just don't know it. We've all done this. What do we do about this? I've got more bad news before I got good news. Jump back to chapter 3. In chapter 3, James tells us this in verses 7 and 8, talking about the tongue. We've all done this. It says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So think about that. Ever watch Animal Planet? Discovery Channel, whatever channel? Think about all the animals that are out there. We've tamed almost every animal. Elephants, tamed. Lions. I can't even get my dog. Anyway, lions, tamed. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Like every animal. Crocodile. I had a friend that had a pet alligator. You're taming these things. But look at the next verse. No human being. This is God's word. No human being can tame the tongue. You can't do it. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That doesn't mean we haven't tried. We have tried to tame the tongue. 
you can raise your hand if you'd like to. I don't know uh, if this is against like social workers' policies or anything like that. But how many of you in here, your parents made you have soap in your mouth at one point in time in your life? I have. Mom, I love you, but you didn't make me have soap in my mouth. I'm just saying stuff I shouldn't be saying. You ever seen that movie, The Christmas Story? Ralphie, you know, it's famous for you'll shoot your eye out, but there's this one scene where Ralphie, this little boy, if you haven't seen it, just TNT, TBS, Lifetime, probably starting in November until Christmas time, be like a thousand times it'll be on, okay? There's this one scene where little Ralphie's got a piece of soap in his mouth, and then the adult Ralphie's narrating the movie. And so he's waxing eloquently a lot. Palm olive has kind of an after-dinner taste. And there's this other kind of soap. And, and he says, but Life Boy is the worst kind of soap. That's what he's got in his mouth, Life Boy soap. And then the mom's standing there. What happened is that Ralphie said a word he wasn't supposed to say. Now, he's heard his dad say this word like 10 times a day his entire life. And his mom's trying to get to the bottom of, where did you hear that word? And then the adult narrator starts to talk about it and says, in a moment of weakness, I said the first name that came to my mind, Schwartz, which is one of his friends. <laughs> yeah, follow Schwartz. <laughs> and if you know the movie, you know what happens next is that the mom goes and calls Schwartz mom. Mom, what? You know, on the other end of the line, beats the kid. It's just terrible. He's sitting there. It's all Ralphie's fault. His mom can keep trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, but it doesn't matter where he first heard it. That's not where it came from. It doesn't matter that he's saying it. Your tongue, that's not going to cleanse. Isn't it ironic that we use soap to try and deal with dirty words? Do you know what they used to do in New York City? I was reading this week when the city was founded in New York City. When they'd find somebody that would defame someone's character, they would pierce their tongue with a hot iron and then kick them out of the city. I did not read enough to find out why it is they don't do that anymore. No one would live there. Like, how in the way? I don't know. But you can do lots of things to try and take, but it, the Bible says right here, no one can tame the tongue. That's pretty discouraging information. Here's the good news. God can change your heart. I have a friend who planted a church in Ohio. He's got a slogan for his church. He says, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. God can change a heart. And here's the good news. Your tongue is a, it's messed up. You say stuff you shouldn't say because of what's going on in your heart. Let me tell you why that's good news, because God can change your heart. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 15. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. The heart's the source. If you want your tongue to change, you've got to deal with the source. Where's it coming from? I think it was Chuck Swindoll I heard one time say, uh, our tongue, it's like a bucket. It goes down, dips into our heart, and just comes out. Whatever's coming out of our mouth, that's what's in our heart. So sometimes you hear people say, that's not really me. Oh, no, actually it is, which is really discouraging for me. I don't know about you, but listen to what he says next. So it proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. From out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's from your heart that your speech comes from. And so verse 11 in James chapter 4 says, Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, here's why. This is the opposite of loving your brother. And what's really interesting about this passage is what James says next. And sometimes when you're studying the Bible, it's interesting to see what's not there. And so you see what James says next. We've already read it a couple times. James chapter 4, verse 11. If you're reading your own copy of the scripture, you can look at it right now and check me on what I'm saying. But it does not say, because God said so. Your parents ever tell you that? Don't say that word. Why? I said so. Don't speak evil against your brother. God could just say, because I'm God, I said so. He doesn't say that. There are some things that would make a lot of sense. If you go back to James chapter 3 and you read more that he talks about in the tongue, verses 1 through 10, it's all about the tongue. He says there, this is an interesting statement, the tongue is, verse 6, is fire. Now, not is like fire, is a fire. 
He says, a whole forest is set on fire by a spark. Your tongue is a fire, he says. Some of us have used our mouths like blowtorches on one another. You know how much damage fire can do. Did you see the California fires this week? Last I saw, it was 36 people had died. It's probably more now. That was yesterday afternoon. 36 people had died. Hundreds of thousands of acres burned in the California wine country. Homes, thousands of homes destroyed. Thousands of structures destroyed. We don't know how it started yet. But a small spark can start a whole forest on fire. Your tongue is a fire. James does not, does not say here, the reason you shouldn't speak against your brother is because it's so damaging. It would make sense in the context. He says that brothers, don't speak against your brother because we're looking at the church. Then the church, you don't want to cause division in the church. He does not say that's the reason. He does not say because it's hurtful. He does not say because of the damage. He does not say because of any of those things. So what does he say? Look at verse 11. Do not speak against your brother. Here's why. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother doesn't mean you can't have discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, kick that brother. I judge the people that are in the church. You've got to kick them out of the church because of his sin. We're not condemning people. You're seeking the restoration. That's the difference. Not condemn his brother. Speaks evil against. And notice it doesn't say his brother. The law. You're speaking against the law and you judge the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. You're putting yourself above God's law. So not only are you superior in your heart to the person, that's obvious that you're speaking against, at least in that area of their life, but you're actually saying you're superior to God's word because you're sitting in judgment on God's word. By disobeying it, you're saying, no, I know better than God's word. You become the judge. There's your superiority complex, which then reveals our insecurities, right? We talked about that already. And so when we sit above God's law, what are we talking about about God's law? Well, in verse 12, it's interesting that he changes from the word brothers to the word neighbor. And so when he talks about God's law, he's probably not talking about every detail of the law, but the summary of the law. And the summary of the law is what? Love God, love your neighbor. In fact, if you have a hard copy of the Bible, you can back up just a page probably. In James chapter 2 and verse 8, it says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying here in verse 11 is that when you speak against someone, You're doing the exact opposite of what we talked about last week of loving just as Jesus loved us. Because now you're putting yourself as superior to them. What did Jesus do last week in John chapter 13? He got low. Jesus, knowing where he came from, knowing who he was, was in the highest position. John chapter 13, verse 3. And then he goes and he washes their feet, which is the lowest of the low position. He got low. Because real love requires real sacrifice. It meets real needs. What does it look like to love your neighbor? Well, you've got to be able to see those needs. Here's the problem when you have a superiority complex. When you see someone's problems and you have a superiority complex, that's weakness. That's fodder for you to build yourself up. When you see someone's problems and you're loving them, you can get lower than those problems and meet those needs. You want an example of a passage on what it really, we didn't even look at it last week, it's in Luke chapter 10 of what it really looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is talking to a religious guy, the religious guy says to him, what is the greatest commandments Jesus says, what do you think it says? And the guy answers right, he says, love God, love your neighbor, and the guy doesn't want to do it, so then he says to Jesus, who's my neighbor? He's trying to get out of it. And then Jesus tells a made-up story. It's a story that's called the story of the Good Samaritan. 
I was telling it to my kids last night, and I changed the characters because we, we are so messed up in how we think about Samaritan, we missed the point of the story. We think good Samaritan, we think that's the guy who, who like changes somebody's tire on the side of the road. Or like Samaritan's purse. Like those are people that like pack presents for kids all over the world around Christmas time. Like that's good, that's a good thing. No, when Jesus told this story, the Samaritan would have been a hated person. So when I told my kids the story, I said, a member of ISIS is coming down the road. Because the context for the story is there's a guy who's been robbed and beaten, left half naked, and he's almost dead. And so if you hear ISIS is coming, what's he going to do? He's going to chop the guy's head off and finish the deal like the guy's half dead. And that's what people would expect of the Samaritan. Two religious guys come by, they don't do anything. And then this guy, Samaritan, ISIS, slash, Scott translation, real translation of the Bible, telling my kids, trying to get to help them to get it, comes by and instead of Instead of cutting the guy's head off, instead of finishing him off, what does he do? You go to the passage, Luke chapter 10 and verse 33. Before he does any action, it says that he saw him and had compassion on him. It wasn't just, oh, here's my part in the story. Now I should do something nice because that's what good people do. And I want to show these people that even though I'm a Samaritan, I'm a good person. No, he saw the need and he had compassion. That means he was moved. He wanted to help. He saw a need, he got low. He puts the guy on his horse, I told my kids, he put him in his car, drove to this place, paid for all of his medical needs, said, take care of him, put it on my credit card, which is basically what is the New Testament in their context, what he's saying, put him on his donkey, gave him his own clothes, took him to an inn, paid for his stuff, said if he has any problems before I come back, I'll pay for him when I get here. So before he even did it, before he was a doer of the word, he was able to see the needs. Here's the problem, we have a superiority complex, we don't even see the needs. And here's the reality. We all have needs. Every one of us. That church slogan. Everyone's welcome. Awesome. We all got problems. Nobody's perfect. Don't miss that. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I said it last week in the first service. My wife amened me. I said I got a mess. I'm a mess. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But I got stuck. I mean, I've shared things with you over the years. Think about all the things that people have shared over testimonies of the years of our church. Remember, I've shared with you, I remember sharing with you after I went through a bout with anxiety, well, my struggle had a professional help. Think about what anxiety is. Anxiety at its root is a lack of faith. I'm a pastor. That's a problem. And there were times where I said, can I do this job? Can I do this? These struggles? I got problems. You got problems. We all have problems. I got a whole lot more problems. Ask people that are intimate with me. They'll tell you. <laughs> Except for hopefully a couple things. Maybe they're, yeah, keep confidence. But we all got it. So what happens? What do we do with that? It should be an opportunity for us to love one another. But unfortunately, people are afraid sometimes to share their problems because they're not sure what you're going to... Because you've got this fire in your mouth that you could do something with that. We don't trust each other. We lack intimacy. Do you know why? Because we've been burned. We've been hurt. We've experienced what the tongue can do. It's happened to all of us, and we've all done it. It's a heart problem. So what do we do? Well, the good news is that James doesn't just diagnose our hearts in this passage. He gives us something to do. And that's our second point. Our second point is simply this. There's only one right response. is to humble our hearts before God. There's only one right response. is to humble our hearts before God. And so you go back up in this passage and you start reading in verse 6. It says that he gives grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. You want to fight against God? Have a superiority complex. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
How do we get that? Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, right before the verse we just read, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Verse 11 is a contrast to what it looks like to be humble. He's talking about superiority. You put yourself above your brother, you put yourself above the law, And then verse 12, it gets worse before it gets better. Look at verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He's not talking about any of us. He who's able to save and destroy. None of us can do that. None of us have the ability to take someone who's rebelling against God and has the wrath of God coming against them in their lives that are enemies against God and save them, rescue them out of that. God can do that. Everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ here has experienced that. He also has the power to destroy, to condemn to hell for punishment for all of eternity. None of us can do that. God's different. And then he asked this question. Who do you think you are? But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's how the ESV phrases it. And so here he's giving us a dose of humility, and he's showing us what it is that we're actually doing. Now, I'll be candid with you. When I, when I came to this passage and thought about preaching and speaking against one another, I'm like, yeah, that's good for us to hear. We should know this as Christians. We should talk about this. There's no incidents in, the, in our church that's going on, and I'm thinking somebody's talking against somebody else or trying to deal with some issue passively from the pulpit. We prayed about and talked about these passages, and we weren't going to do all 59 of them, and this is one of the ones we picked. And I thought, this is, this is good to talk about, but it's not like, like sexual sin. It's not like like murder. It's not like, you know, pick some bad sin that's out there. I mean, this is something to deal with, but it's not. Until I got convicted of it, I realized the problems of my own heart. Until I realized verse 12 and what verse 12 is actually saying, look at it, don't just trust me to say it, look at what the verse says. What are we doing when we speak against someone? We're actually usurping the place of God. James is saying, there's, you're, you're standing in judgment of the law, verse 11. There's only one lawgiver. God's the one who gave the law. It's not you. You're putting yourself in the place of God. Not only do you think you're superior to that person, you think you're superior to the law. James chapter 4, verse 12 is saying, you think you're superior to God. A couple of your heads popped up when I said that. I bet you're thinking to yourself, no, 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 I wouldn't say that. Like, I'm not saying that. Here's what we oftentimes do in our lives, though. God's on his throne, God's ruling the universe, and sometimes it's like we go, why don't you move over? I got this. When we speak evil against someone, that's essentially what we're doing. I was thinking about it with my kids. My kids, we've got two chairs in our living room. Neither one of those chairs is big enough for two people, even two little people in it. But sometimes we'll watch a movie, and one kid will be in the chair, and somebody else wants to be in the chair. (laughs) Have you ever seen kids fight for a seat like that? It's like they can get in there and wedge and get their knees and they're like pushing the person out of the seat. And I think to myself, I probably speak against them and lose my temper, but for the sake of the story, and I'm making this up, I want to make myself look better. Uh, I think to myself, what do you think is going to happen when you put them on the floor? Oh, I got knocked out of the chair. I guess it's yours. You get to rule now. What do you think is going to happen if you do get God's throne? Let me tell you, you'll be crushed. You can't handle the weight. You're not God. You're not meant to be in that seat. As much as we long for that seat, we're not meant to be in that seat. What we do when we speak against our brother, that's what we're talking about here. Don't forget that. When we speak against our brother, what we're doing is we're usurping the place of God. We're violating the first commandment, have no other gods before you. We're paralleling the first sin, Genesis chapter 3. Have you ever thought about Genesis chapter 3 and what happens there? I told you about a month or two months ago. I read it and I thought, all they did was eat some fruit. Why is that such a big deal? They just ate some fruit. That's not all they did. 
Satan's slandering God. Surely he won't die, questioning his integrity, saying things that aren't true about God. But what are Adam and Eve doing? I know better than God. I, I want to know the things that only God knows. I should know these things. God's holding out on me. They're usurping the place of God. When we speak against our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are taking the place of God. Dangerous place to be in. So what do we do? What is James doing here in verse 12? We've got to humble ourselves. He's showing us how to humble ourselves. Verses 6, verse 10, talked about humbling ourselves. I love this quote by John Owen. John Owen says this. John Owen's a theologian from the 1600s, pastor theologian. He says, two things need to humble us. First, don't miss the order. Let us consider God in his greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, and authority. That alone will humble us. Then, let us consider ourselves and our mean, abject, and sinful condition. Think about your own sin. What is it to be humble? It's acknowledge our need, our weakness, that we need him. We need him to save us. We need him for every day after that. You wouldn't even breathe if it wasn't for him. We just don't acknowledge that very often. We get a superiority complex. We've got, we are needy people. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome. Anything's possible. God can change your heart. You need to humble your heart before him. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. How do you humble your heart? Verse 12. It actually says, James, John Owen was saying the same thing that James says here. First look at God, then look at your own heart. I think the order is important. So where do you see God? You see God in the scriptures. Here's the problem. Many of us, when we go to the scriptures, we go there looking for ourselves. We go there thinking, which character do I identify with? I'm certainly David, not Goliath. I'm certainly Noah. I'm certainly Job. It's all the heroes. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We got problems. The Bible's actually about God. What if instead of going to the Bible and always asking, what is your word for me right now? And where am I at in the story? And how does this apply to me? If we said, where's God in this? What's God teaching me about God in God's word? And so what you see is when you go to the scriptures and you see people who actually see God, none of them walk away and go, I'm pretty awesome. They're all humbled. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne in verse 1. And then he describes that. He starts talking about this whole, the robe filled the whole temple and the place was shaking and there's smoke that's coming up and there's these seraphim, these angels that are there that have six wings, there's six of them. And they've got uh, two wings over their face and two wings over their feet because God's holy and they can't bear to be in his presence. And so the two wings, they're flying and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. Do you know what Isaiah says? He doesn't say, this is awesome. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Oh, that's interesting. Why are you talking about your lips, Isaiah? Because you know that your lips expose your heart. Let him do some heart surgery on you right now. Psalm chapter 139 says, Search me and show me in an offensive way in me. Oh, I don't want to know offensive ways. It doesn't mean they're not there. God's word, do like an echocardiogram on your heart. Let him expose, let him show. And then will you humble yourselves? See the Lord. Go to the scriptures and look for the Lord. Have you ever read Job? You get to the beginning, the beginning of Job is like really good for Job. The end of Job, not so much. In Job chapter 38, the NIV says this, God speaking, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? <laughs> you don't even know what you're talking about, Job. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. What if God asked you these questions audibly? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? 
And what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone? Well, the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Do you remember that? You remember that because you were there, right? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, I told the ocean where to stop, is what God's saying. Here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? I think God knows the answer to that question. And we can keep reading. God's revealing himself to Job. What does that do to your heart when God reveals himself? It it then reveals our sin. It reveals our need. If you want to find yourself in the Bible, don't just go to these Bible stories where you know who the clear hero is. Why don't you go to the cross? Because you'll find yourself at the cross. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating drops of blood and he's saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way for what? If there's any other way for the wrath of God that's being poured out onto mankind to be gone anywhere else other than to be poured out onto me, if there's any other way, not this cup, that's the cup, the cup of wrath. But that was for you. It's because the wrath of God was coming on you. You deserve the wrath of God. That Jesus taking that punishment on the cross. That's why he's beaten. That's why he's stripped. That's why he becomes naked and mocked. And that's why he stretches out his arms and says, Father, forgive them. That's where you're at in the Bible. You're at the cross because you have a need that you can't meet. He is the one, James chapter 4, verse 12, that can save and destroy. That's why you go to the cross. You need to be saved or destroyed. It depends on whether you humble your heart at the cross. So some of you have done that. You've humbled your heart at the cross. You've asked Jesus to be your Savior. What did he do? Well, that, that what we talked about in Genesis chapter 3, there was a curse. Everyone who's nailed to a tree is cursed, Galatians tells us. He took on a curse for you. He came to serve, not just to wash your feet, but to be a ransom. Why is he a ransom? Why is there a ransom? We're not kidnapped. Why do we need a ransom? Well, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. We all sin. So we earn death, separation from God. Somebody's got to pay for that. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's what Jesus gives at the cross. You needed that. That should be humbling. Exalting of Jesus, humbling to us. Because we had a need. That's where you're at in the Bible. Humble your hearts before God. Because here's the reality. Sometimes as Christians we live like, I needed that at the point of salvation, but now I'm good. Oh, you have a superiority complex. I don't know what insecurities you're covering up but you still need him. You need him daily. Here's why. Everybody's welcome. At the cross and walking with Jesus in the church, nobody's perfect. We all got problems. Anything's possible. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. Anything's possible. So you might think you have a tongue problem when you look at a passage of scripture like this. It's actually a heart issue. The good news is that God changes hearts, but we have to humble our hearts before him.